Welcome to Coast Range Radio, a production of the Coast Range Association. I'm your host, Michael Gaskell. We talk a lot on this show and in the Coast Range Association work more broadly about the invasive plague of global capital in our timberlands and just about all other aspects of our world. And one of the key front lines in the fight against that invasion is mega factory farms. And the Pacific Northwest is a huge land grab target for big ag. I want to say right up top, this episode is not about whether you should eat meat or not. No matter where you stand on that, factory farms are an indefensible way to raise animals for all the reasons we'll get into today and many more. Like most issues, when we make it about personal choice and personal responsibility, we let the true culprits off the hook, in this case the agribusiness giants who control our food systems. Real progress requires systemic change. And that's why I'm so excited to speak with three representatives of the Stand Up to Factory Farms Coalition about their campaigns to change policy in Oregon and what we can all do to help. If you're inspired to get involved in this fight, their website is standuptofactoryfarms.org. Before we get to the interview, please consider sharing this episode with a friend, leaving us a review on your podcast app, subscribing if you haven't already, all these things that really, truly help us reach a broader audience. And finally, you can donate at coastrange.org or click the donate button in the show notes. Your support in any and every form truly helps. Thank you. Okay, on with the show. Could you all say your name, pronoun, and your job title? I'm Tara Heinzen. I use she, her pronouns. I am Food and Water Watch's legal director. This is Amy Van Son, they, them, theirs, and I'm the Center for Food Safety's senior attorney. This is Alice Morrison, she, her, and I am Friends of Family Farmers co-executive director for policy and development. Great. Well, Tara, Amy, and Alice, thank you so much for joining us on Coast Range Radio today. I am so excited to talk with you all about your work and about this super important subject that really doesn't get enough coverage. I'm hoping that we can kind of start with the big picture. You know, what what are we talking about when we talk about factory farms? And why should listeners care about this issue right now? Sure, I can jump in there. Uh... When we're talking about factory farms, we're talking about livestock operations that are concentrated and confined. So that means that the animals that live in these operations stay inside their entire lives. They're not outside on pasture. And there's a vast accumulation of their waste. And many of these operations that we're talking about use what's called the lagoon and spray system, which sounds nicer than it is, but means you're taking a liquefied you know, many millions of gallons of waste and then spraying it onto uh, crop fields. And so I'm sure we'll get into later all the problems that are caused here, but we're not talking about, you know, your small uh, independent family farms. We're talking about much larger operations, many with uh, hundreds and thousands of animals uh, crowded in together. Great. And, and why, why this issue? Why now? You know, what, what is, um, you know, what, why should people be paying attention to this right now? Well, Oregon is unfortunately a magnet for an expansion of this industry. We've long had dairy and other 
uh, livestock here in, in much smaller operations. But lately what we've seen is an influx of much larger, what we call mega dairy or mega chicken operations that house the tens to hundreds of thousands of animals at once. And the problem here is that this causes a concentration and burden of water and air pollution in the communities that are forced to have the, to, to house these operations. Um, not only that, this is a huge and unregulated source of greenhouse gases. So right at a time when we need to be doing everything we can to mitigate climate change uh, and the climate crisis that we're seeing here at, at home and everywhere, uh, methane is, is a huge uh, uh, gas that is released by these operations and it is totally unchecked. Well, thank you so much for that. Um, I'm wondering, actually, I would love to, and and we're going to dig kind of deeper into the specific issues, but I was wondering if someone can just kind of give me that, that bullet point, you know, list of some of the top issues that are created if we allow factory farming to expand in Oregon, and then we can kind of dig deeper into each of those topics. Yeah, absolutely. I'll jump in here once again, because uh, I just <laughs> love talking about this issue, but so like I said, factory farms house thousands of animals and so therefore generate massive amounts of waste, the same amount as small or even large cities. They also emit toxic air pollutants, including respiratory irritants like ammonia that cause all sorts of health harms and greenhouse gases like methane. They also leach contaminants into groundwater and surface water and threaten our drinking water supplies, especially out in Eastern Oregon, where there's already dangerous levels of nitrates in people's drinking water. And finally, they drain our critical freshwater supplies. They can use as much water as a small city or even a mid-sized city, and especially in places where there's already drought. And Alice, you can tell us about the impacts to, to small farm. Uh, thanks for queuing that up, Amy. And in terms of the impact that these factory farms have on the rest of the food and farming system, they contribute to this pernicious big get big or get out mentality in agriculture in our country. And the more that we prioritize these facilities over small and mid-sized independent farms, and I do want to say that by allowing these farms to proliferate, we are prioritizing them over small and mid-sized family-owned farms because they create a system in which it's impossible for those smaller players to thrive. When this becomes the norm in agriculture, um, one thing that happens is that processing infrastructure skews toward these gigantic facilities. For example, um, we here in Oregon have a bottleneck in our USDA inspected meat processing facilities. And that is the only way, using one of those USDA inspected slaughter and processing facilities is the only way currently for our livestock producers to legally bring their product to market if you want to sell by the cut in a retail setting. And our producers that we work with are reporting wait times of 12 to 18 months because there is a financial disincentive to working with a smaller producer when you could contract with one of these large facilities and have them bring thousands of animals through the door every week. There's also the concerns with land use. When you have these types of facilities, they do not require the same natural resources in terms of soil and land quality that other farming operations do. So they're often zoned, uh, located on exclusive farm use or EFU zone land because then they can take advantage of the right to farm laws here in Oregon, 
which were are a really powerful tool to allow farmers to do what they need to do, but were never designed with these types of facilities in mind. They're not built to apply to an industrial facility of these of this scale. But when you have these types of factory farms on EFU zone land and often our highest value soils, we're so blessed here in Oregon to have some of the highest quality agricultural soils in the country. And when you're locating these types of facilities on these soils, you're doing damage to that resource through compaction and contamination that could take decades to reverse or might be irreversible. So essentially, we are putting our farmland resources at risk for uh, and our future production at risk by prioritizing these types of facilities. And uh, the last thing that I wanted to mention is that these facilities are not good for our rural economies. There are studies coming out of OSU that were conducted in Central Oregon that show that these types of facilities, um, when compared to diversified local market farms who are selling their products directly into the, com the communities where they live, um, these factory farms create less jobs per million dollars of revenue. They have a lower um, amount of money staying in the community and they create less economic activity in those communities than these other farms that they are harming in the process. So uh, they also contribute to land price um, gouging that we see across the state. We're in a farmland access crisis because of um, corporate speculation on our farmland and viewing it as an investment for this type of farming rather than an essential component of food production. Yeah, I'm so glad that you brought in that perspective. And, you know, too often, I think we just default to, well, that's just the way things are. And it's the free market at work or whatever. And it's not. These are policy decisions to incentivize and disincentivize certain actors, right? And so it is not an act of nature or a foregone conclusion that we will have never-ending corporate consolidation of our food systems. This is a policy choice made by, uh, you know, largely the agribusness giants that, you, like you say, are, are coming in and trying to gobble up more and more land in the Northwest. And I know that we're going to kind of touch on you all's solution to that, um, especially with and, SB 85. Um, and just to address that, I'm so sorry, but I want to just point out that the opposition to this bill also bemoans the get bigger, get out mentality of farming. And we're both saying the same thing, that we don't want to go down this road. But like you're saying, these are policy choices that we're making. And there there are solutions that don't involve laying down to that get bigger, get out mentality. Well, I wanted to ask more about you all's coalition, but maybe this is a great lead in to just kind of talk about some of the campaigns that you all are working on and, and what you all's priorities are. And then we can circle back to some of my other questions. I was hoping to touch briefly on environmental justice issues because Amy really spoke well to the many pollution impacts of this industry. But, you know, we also talked about the fact that these are policy choices and a lot of those policy choices play out in what I refer to as agricultural exceptionalism, loopholes and exemptions that exist throughout our environmental laws and other protections that let big ag off the hook. And we see that with factory farming and under-regulated or wholly unregulated pollution from these operations. 
It's an environmental justice nightmare. And the concentration issues that Alice spoke to also concentrates these pollution problems and these facilities in certain communities and certain environments. Often these are communities that lack the resources and political power to hold this industry accountable. And so really filling some of those gaps and loopholes and getting rid of that agricultural exceptionalism, treating factory farms as the industrial scale polluters that they are, is key to truly solving this problem. Thank you so much for for bringing in that point. Do you want to talk more about some of you all's solutions, the legislation that you all are back in, um, and and just run us through that real quick, and then I've got some some follow ups. Sure. So, Stand Up to Factory Farms has been advocating for a mega dairy moratorium for several years, and this year we are working for an all factory farm moratorium. We're currently supporting SB 85-1, which would enact a several year and eight year long moratorium on all large tier two factory farms in the state. And that's a top priority because we're seeing that huge mega dairies and enormous chicken factories are being proposed in multiple parts of the state right now. So it's urgent this session for the legislature to act and to act in a way that protects all Oregon communities from the biggest factory farms trying to move into the state. Yeah. Could you tell me a little bit about the key provisions of the bill? So it's actually a really simple bill, and it just directs the state to not issue the necessary water pollution permits for operations that are above a certain size. And as as Tara said, that's tier two large, uh, which is 2,500 mature dairy cows or 350,000 broiler chickens, um, just to be as an example. And of course, the bill lists out all of the all of the relevant sizes there. And it also directs uh, the state to make a report to the legislature halfway through uh, this eight-year period of time. And the reason why we need this, of course, is to get to give some time for the legislature and for the state. That's the Department of Ag and, and Environmental Quality to enact new laws and to enforce the laws we already have to protect our climate, air, our water, our rural community health, the economic viability of our farmers, and the humane treatment of farmed animals um, all together. You know, our coalition cares about so many different aspects that are touched and are harmed by these huge operations. Uh, but really, the bill is, is quite simple as written. Yeah. And and just to make sure that we're putting a really fine point on it, how would this impact small farms and small farmers versus these large, um, large corporate farms? I'm happy to address that. Please. Um, yeah. Thanks. So for background, Friends of Family Farmers uh, has was founded in 2005 by farmers and rural residents who didn't feel adequately represented by commodity agriculture and and traditional agriculture groups across the state. And since then, we've grown to represent over 1,600 farmers um, across Oregon, including those in the communities impacted by the factory farms that we've talked about today. And we do have members within our our coalition of membership um, of Friends of Family Farmers who hold small and medium CAFO permits. And I want to be clear that this is not in any way going to address anyone who holds a permit that is not designated a large tier two permit by ODA's CAFO program. So first and foremost, we want to make sure 
that we're clear that we are not this this bill has no provisions that would impact any person or farm who does not hold or is not seeking a large tier two CAFO permit. And that is uh, the large tier two designation is, is, as I said, part of the existing ODA permitting structure. It also does not shut down any of those farms. It only stops the issuance of new per permits or renewal of permits that are rising to that level. So if you have an existing permit and you're trying to renew that permit with an addition to rise to that large tier two level, you would not be able to rise to that new level. Um, so in brief, for day-to-day -day operations, this will not impact anyone who doesn't fall into that category. We do understand that there are, you know, interconnectivities between different types of farming in our state. And it has been raised um, that the chicken litter and uh, that kind of waste is often used in as organic fertilizer for other growers across the state. We are also a member of the Oregon Organic Coalition, and we've discussed it with all of our partners. And there are plenty of sources in the tier large tier one, as well as medium and small capos to continue that um, that source of fertility for folks. We understand uh, that that's a concern. We also want to again, reiterate that this does not shut down any existing tier two, large tier two operations. And I think that the biggest impact that this will have on these small and mid-sized farms that I represent is that they will be able to have some peace of mind that their land and water resources are not going to be in jeopardy from the pollutants that we've talked about. Um, of course, farmers are also rural residents. They live in these communities where some of these facilities are located. And uh, knowing that, for example, their children's school is not going to be in an area where ammonia from these chicken barns, um, this scale of chicken barn does produce quite a bit of ammonia as a gas emission and that they know that they're not, their children are not going to be breathing that in. They won't be breathing that in in their fields, and it won't be um, degrading the resources that they have available. Also, they will be able to be assured that these types of gigantic facilities are not going to come into their community and jeopardize their ability to use their water right. Another piece of the puzzle is that we obviously live in a Western state. We have water quantity there is a provision called the stock watering exemption which allows livestock operations many most all of the livestock operations that i represent use the stock watering exemption to some extent because it was developed a century ago in order to make sure that folks were able to water their animals um, this, like the right to farm law, was never intended to apply to facilities of this scale, but it allows facilities like the ones that we're discussing here to take as much water as they need for the vast amounts of animals that they're raising in this confined space without regard to other folks who have water rights, um, without regard to the quality of the watershed or any other concerns um, that the watershed may have. So we are confident that this will create more resources for small farmers and protect the communities that they live, work, and feed. 
I'm wondering if we could take a minute here and and ground this discussion into a real live controversy around uh, factory farm expansion here in Oregon and especially in Western Oregon. So right now uh, there are a number of large factory chicken operations being proposed in, I believe, Lynn County. And I know that driving around in Lynn County, local opposition is fierce to those. So I'm wondering if somebody could talk about those specific proposals, the issues there, and how SB 85-1 would would address that or would impact those proposals. Yeah, so this is a relatively new expansion in Oregon because we are a state that has had dairy for a long time, but not so much the huge chicken, broiler chicken operations as we've seen in other states, other parts of the country. So there are three operations that are proposed, one that has already been permitted, JS Ranch, uh, that would raise collectively over 10 million chickens, uh, broiler chickens a year. So that's uh, 3.5 and then two 4.5 million uh, operations. And they're right next to other farms where people live. One of the big problems is that their plan for all that waste is that it will just be exported to, to apparently farmers in the area who will use it as fertilizer, but they will, you know, there's nothing to account for how it then gets spread on land, you know, how much is being used, where it's, whether it's getting spread near waterways. And this is an area of the state that, you know, is a pretty dense farming area um, and community and has some, some very uh, pristine waterways. And the JS Ranch facility is right on the banks of the North Santiam River, where a number of endangered uh, species and salmon uh, live and need that. Uh, pristine area that is threatened by this operation. Yeah, and and so, thank you for for you know providing that overview. Is would the passage of SB eighty five one impact those proposed operations? Yes, as to the two that have not been permitted yet, and the one that has been permitted is actually already a subject of a court challenge. Uh, by the na- one of the neighbors and several organizations, um, including Friends of Family Farmers and Willamette Riverkeeper. And so because of the state's failure to you know, consider how this would impact the groundwater and that river um, in, in permitting that operation, but it would put a pause on the other ones that are proposed. So, and that's really important because you know, one of them is right, right upwind from a school and a community center. And so the this legislation would absolutely um, pre- prevent further harm there. Great. Yeah. And, you know, I ask in particular about that operation, partly because I live uh, in the Coast Range, not too far away from Lynn County. And I just think a lot of folks are not as familiar with, with what's going on there and would be really disturbed once they start finding out some of those details. So how can folks get involved here? How can folks help out? How can folks help pass this legislation or learn more about the work of Stand Up to Factory Farms? Sure. First, I'll just say that um, how to help out with this bill is a little tricky for the timing of this because we are now looking at a work session for the bill on the 27th, and we don't know exactly how that's going to go. There are some amendments being floated around, so it'll be a little tough to give a relevant uh, how to get involved pitch for the bill to your audience, just so you know. Right. Um, These things are 
you know, the legislative session is moving fast and, and uh, things could be vastly different in one week's time. Um, so maybe broader, broader, how do people just get engaged helping out on this issue in general, regardless of where this specific legislation stands when folks are hearing this episode? Anyone who wants to know more about the Stand Up to Factory Farms Coalition, the work we're doing, and opportunities to get involved should check out our website and follow us on social media. We're on Twitter and on Facebook. And so there are many opportunities to get involved. I think someone else might have this specific handles handy. Um, but we also regularly communicate with folks who've signed up to stay in the loop on opportunities to take action. We regularly send out updates on our legislative campaign to let people know how they can contact their legislators, what message to bring to their senators and representatives. And we'll continue to do that as the session moves on and as our bill develops. And we want to bring as many people into this campaign as possible from all over the state to make it clear to all of our representatives that this is an urgent issue, this legislative session, and we need a moratorium on all factory farms now. And I will add to that, that you can find our website at standuptofactoryfarms.org. And you can also, if you wanna get um, some text updates, you can text Oregon, our state, <laughs> to 23321. And that's Oregon to 23321 and get some live updates there about how you can connect with your legislators, legislators to tell them uh, that we should have this full moratorium now. Yeah. And, you know, this isn't uh, an evergreen episode. Uh, like I mentioned, things could look uh, different by the time this airs. We're recording this uh, uh, the week before that hearing that you're that you're talking about. But with that with that caveat, where do things stand with the bill right now? So right now, uh, there is a third public hearing scheduled for the 22nd, which is uh, at 8 a.m. And that will uh, give people yet another chance to you know, speak up and, and say why they want or do not want this legislation. And um, there's a possible work session, which is the, uh, the vote basically by the committee. This is the Senate Natural Resources Committee scheduled for the week after on the 27th at 8 a.m. Um, so we're hoping that the committee will vote uh, to pass uh, the SB 85-1 amendment, um, which is the full factory farm moratorium, includes beef, cattle, chicken, will protect Willamette Valley, will protect uh, Umatilla and Morrow counties and the coast everywhere. Um, and they'll vote that out. And then, of course, it would head, it has a small budget attachment to it, very, very small. And so it would head to Ways and Means after that, which is our budget committee for the state. Okay. Well, thanks for that update. Alice, did you have something to add? Yeah, I just wanted to add that although things do move quickly, it's never a bad time to let your legislator know that this is a, an important issue for you personally or how this would impact you. So I would invite anyone who is interested in saying more about this to their representative or senator to head on over to OregonLegislature.gov, find out who your senator or representative is. And you, as a constituent, you are always welcome to 
give them a call or drop them an email. And we have so many talking points and ideas of how to frame this issue. If you want some help with crafting that statement um, on our website and through our communications, but they really do want to hear from you. And that is the best way to let folks know that this is an issue that they should be paying attention to and taking action on. And we need as much support from every part of the legislature as we can as we move forward, because that Ways and Means Committee that Amy just mentioned is a joint committee with uh, representatives from the House and senators from the Senate. So if you have a relationship with your lawmaker or would like to start one, uh, we invite you to reach out on this issue and we would love to help you uh, say everything you want to say about factory farms. Wonderful. Thank you all so much for, for that and running through that with me. Um, and I would just echo that that sentiment that it's never a bad time to reach out to your to your representative. And if it's something that listeners haven't done before, you'd be surprised how receptive and eager for, you know, to listen to what you have to say our state reps and, and state senators can be. Uh, especially if you are nice and polite to the aides and staffers that answer your call. <laughs> um, we are starting to run short on time, so I want to know if there's anything we've missed. And I know there's a lot of ground that we didn't cover today. So again, I would just plug standuptofactoryfarms.org, where you all have a wealth of information that people can learn more about. But uh, with that in mind, is there anything we missed before we wrap up today? I was just going to speak a little bit to some of our campaign work over the years and why that kind of underscores the need for a moratorium. That, Please. That sounds good. So one of the reasons that we need a moratorium on factory farms in Oregon is that we've seen through years of campaign work that state regulators have failed to adequately protect Oregonians and family farmers from the harms of the factory farm industry. As a coalition, Three years ago, we sent an emergency petition to the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency to take action to address persistent nitrate contamination in the lower Umatilla Basin, which is significantly um, attributed to mega dairy pollution, feedlot pollution, and irrigated agriculture, which is often the irrigation of the CAPO waste. This is a huge environmental justice problem. Many people in that part of the state cannot safely drink their own water. Years later, the state has failed to take adequate action and EPA has yet to take concrete action. So that is one more reason that we really need the legislature to hit pause before another mega dairy moves into that community. Similarly, we recently petitioned the Environmental Quality Commission to finally begin regulating harmful air pollution and greenhouse gases from the largest dairies, which the state has the authority to regulate. And despite all of the science in favor of common sense regulation and in spite of dairy air quality task force recommendations from over a decade ago, urging the state to start regulating this pollution, the Department of Environmental Quality and the Environmental Quality Commission denied our petition. So we need a timeout so that regulators can get their hands around this issue, put common sense protections in place for public health and the environment. And it doesn't make sense to just dig the hole deeper with more factory farms while we haven't taken care of these basic problems. I think that might be a perfect note to end on. I want to thank you all again for your work. Um, I was very excited to 
learn about the legislation you all are working on, and I wish you all the best of luck. Once again, if folks want to get involved, that's standuptofactoryfarms.org. Uh, and Tara Heinsen, Amy Vanson, and Alice Morrison, thank you all so much for joining us on Coast Range Radio. Thank you for having us. <laughs> that's our show. One more time, that text link that Amy mentioned, you just text Oregon to 23321. That's 23321. And someone from the campaign will respond. You can also find more links and resources in the show notes. And again, please consider supporting this show by sharing an episode with a friend. And you could donate at our website, coastrange.org. My email is michael at coastrange.org. Thanks so much for listening. We'll be back in a couple weeks.